0: Right. Well, the rest of you, if you could turn in your Bibles to Revelation, Revelation chapter seven. Today is Palm Sunday. We have a few palms laying out here as well, and uh, this begins the Passion Week. The Passion Week of Jesus is uh, eight days. It starts Sunday, goes to the following Sunday, and um, the the communion that Jesus shared with his disciples was during that Passion Week. It would have been on Thursday. So Thursday this week coming, that would have been the time that he shared that. Supper with his disciples, but I wanted to take you to Revelation chapter seven, just to to take a peek here and in verse nine, this is a uh, a picture of eternity. Uh, this is in heaven, and this is um, after uh, sort of we see um, uh, obviously far into the future after Christ has walked this earth and died and risen again and has ascended into heaven we have a vision of heaven. And it says this in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and... To the Lamb. It is interesting to me that one day in the future there will be people gathered around the throne room of God who will still be holding palm branches in their hands. There's something significant then about the palm branches and certainly about Palm Sunday. And I want to just take a look at that um, today. In fact, two years ago we did look at um, uh, uh, this this idea of uh, the, the the Passion Week. And we've done sort of a, a series before, and um, I just want to revisit that today because it's so important, I think, to remember what happened 2,000 years ago uh, in this all-important uh, week. Now, as we look at this, this Passion Week, this idea of this word passion, is, uh, where does that come from? It comes from Acts chapter 1 in verse 3, and um, it comes from the King James Version, and there it says this, "...to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion." by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. If you have a new King James, it would say uh, suffering there, not passion. And that's what passion means. It means to, uh, to suffer. And Palm Sunday kicks off of uh, that whole week. It is also known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so Palm Sunday commemorates something very important. It is Jesus' presentation of himself as the one and only bona fide Messiah, the long-awaited one. That is why it's the triumphal uh, entry. Yet, it ends with the cross. Well, I guess you could say it ends with the resurrection, but but in terms of the people's response, it goes to the cross. So it's an interesting... Um, event. And we must take a look at this. When we talk about Jesus presenting himself as the Messiah, something you have to understand about that is the Messiah is a transliteration of a a Hebrew uh, adjective, actually, that means anointed one. To anoint is the verb. And it was used in the Old Testament of the first king of Israel called the Lord's anointed one. It was also used of the priests. They were called the anointed priests, so the same word was used there. And is was also used of the prophets. And, and, and the psalmist said, do not touch my anointed ones in referring to prophets. And the term eventually came to be applied then to the coming one, the, the, the main coming one, the Messiah who would fulfill all three of those roles, king, prophet, and priest, all three of those And so we know Jesus today as Messiah, but we also know him as what? Jesus, say it, Christ, Christ. But Christ is not his last name. He is not Mr. Christ. Christ is the Greek word that comes from the verb to anoint. It's Messiah. Christ is his title, and that is who we come to worship today. So Messiah and Christ are synonymous. They mean the same thing. And in, when it came to Jesus' public ministry, there was a lot of speculation about who Jesus was and what he was doing because he had never declared himself openly to be the Messiah, although the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to appear. And if you had the New Testament scriptures back then, it would have been really easy to figure out if he was the Messiah or not because, we, we, well, it's declared in the New Testament, Um, We didn't have a Google search back then. That would have been an easy way maybe also to find out if Jesus was the Messiah. There was no way to go back and track his beginnings. People weren't even sure about his beginnings. They knew that he was from Nazareth, that he was a son of Joseph, but he was born in Bethlehem, yet he went to Egypt. So they weren't even really sure who Jesus was. But today we have the scriptures, don't we? And we can go to the scriptures and we can trace his life. And when we do, it becomes absolutely clear. Let me take you back to a, a countryside with shepherds on a hill and an angel appears to the shepherd. What are we looking at? We're looking at the, the Christmas, right? And the angels come to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And in Luke 2, 11, this is what they announce. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels are announcing To the shepherds, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so the shepherds are the first ones to know the Messiah has been born. The Messiah is here, the one we've been waiting for. You think of the wise men, those wise men that came from the east. They come to Herod. They say, who is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? We've seen a star in the east. We've come to worship him. And you might remember uh, Herod gathers people together to find out the answer to that question. And in Matthew 2, verse 4, it says this. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He's looking for the Messiah. The scriptures say that he'll be born anywhere. And of course, we find out he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You might remember when Jesus was of eight days old, when they would bring him as a baby into Jerusalem for the circumcision ceremony. I'm glad they made such a big deal about that. Uh, Simeon is there. Simeon is waiting in the temple. We're told that he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And Simeon says this in Luke 2, 26, it tells us about it. It had been revealed to him, we get a little secret about him, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon knew that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, he's an old man, so he's got to be thinking it's going to be coming soon at some point. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, Jesus as a baby is brought into the temple. Simeon is there, and Simeon sees the baby. And this is what he says about him in Luke chapter 2, 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and, bless God, that must have been scary for the parents, right? They're bringing him in. Let me see him, you know? And he blessed, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Christ. Wait, does it say that? What's it say? Hmm. Holy Spirit didn't reveal that to him. Holy Spirit revealed that he would see the Christ. But Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation was known to come with the Christ. A very important thing, and I don't want you to forget that, that Simeon says that. Now, at the time, you also had John the Baptist on the scene when um, Jesus was doing his ministry or coming into it. He was baptizing people. People were following him. He had his own disciples, and he was, uh, was asked about uh, what he was doing. When John the Baptist was doing all these things, people said, are you the Christ? And he says, I'm, I'm specifically said, I'm not the Christ, John the Baptist did not want them to get confused. And so they asked him, saying, Well, why then do you baptize? Why are you doing these things if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? But John knew his role. He knew he was the forerunner of the Christ. So if John was doing his ministry, John also knew that the Christ had to be close. He knew that. And so he was ready to proclaim who Christ was when he uh, saw him. And so. Um, he was it was prophesied what do you you say about yourself he says I am not the Christ he's actually quoting Isaiah 43 and he said I am the one uh, who is uh, a voice one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord he knew his role I'm that person so John John knew um, what he was there to do and he knew Christ would be uh, close and so John answered them, saying I baptize with water But there stands one among you whom you do not know. And as he who's coming after me, he's preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. I wouldn't even touch his sandal strap. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And people are curious about Jesus. But when John saw Jesus, he knew. And he declared this in John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was born after me. This is the guy that I was talking about. So John pronounces Jesus as the Messiah. Simeon pronounced Jesus as the Messiah, as a baby. And so here Jesus is now on the scene and pronounced as the Messiah by John the Baptist, who had his own followers, one of which was a man named Andrew. And so John says, don't follow me anymore, go follow him. And he does. He begins following Jesus. And we're told in John one forty one, he first found his brother, Simon, that's Peter, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Now, John, John's gospel puts things in like that in there. That's not me adding that, which is translated the Christ. That's actually in John's gospel. Why? John is writing to Gentiles they don't understand these Jewish terms. So he says, he's, this is what Andrew said. He says, we found the Messiah. And he has to put this note in for people who didn't know. That's translated, the Christ. Jesus doesn't declare himself to be the Messiah. That's what I want you to catch on here. Everyone else is doing that, but not everyone else. Certain people are, but Jesus doesn't declare himself to, to do that. And there's still some unknown about it. And even in John's mind, remember John gets arrested and he's in prison. He sends some disciples to Jesus, right? And he says, go find out for sure who he is. And in Matthew 11, two to three, it says when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you, coming? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? I mean, just tell me plainly because I'm in prison now. What's happening here? Do you remember Jesus' answer? What did he say? Yep, that's me, Mr. Messiah. I'm the one. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, well, the blind see, the lame, they now walk, the deaf, they now hear, and even the dead are raised. That was his answer. And so Jesus is basically saying, let my works do the talking. I don't even need to say it. What I'm doing in Israel has been, never been done before. It's unheard of, the miracles that were happening. And people don't really know what to think about Jesus at this time. And so one of his disciples, or one of his, remember, he, one day he asked his disciples even, he wanted to know what they thought. What are people saying? What's the talk out there? Who are people saying that I am? And, and in Mark 8, 28 to 29, they answered, John the Baptist, some think, some say Elijah, others, maybe one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to them, you are the Christ. Well, Peter knew that he was the Messiah. Why does Peter confess that? Had Jesus said it? No, the works, the miracles at this point. So it should have been obvious to those who were looking for him by the works. It seemed obvious to a certain Samaritan woman. You might remember that. Jesus went into Samaria, the hated area of the Jews, and he sat at a well and he met a Samaritan woman and he didn't do a miracle. He sat at a well and asked for some water. What what I would have done if I were Jesus, I would have just made water come out of the well in into her bucket. Job done. But he didn't. He said, "Would you draw me some water?" How did she get so amazed by him? It was what he said. He talked to her like he had known everything ever known about her. And she ran into the village and this is what it says that she said, "Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did." That was enough of a miracle for her. Could this be the Christ? Do you see, they're all waiting for the Messiah. And that's the question everyone is beginning to ask. You might remember John chapter 10, we'll get to it in a bit, but Jews are surrounding Jesus at some point in his ministry. They just have to know. They say, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And Jesus keeps them in the dark. He doesn't answer them, which just infuriates them. Even the demons at this time knew who Jesus was because Jesus was doing such miracles. He was casting demons out of people and they even knew, who he was. In Luke four forty one, it tells us demons also came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. He didn't want demons to say that. Why? Why? Why is he keeping this secret? If everyone is looking for the Messiah, why doesn't he just come out and say, okay, that's it. You're right. I'm the Messiah. Demons go ahead and shout it out. People go ahead and tell them that's me. The short answer is this his time had not yet come. He is on a timetable, a divine timetable, and it must happen at the exact moment that is supposed to happen. And Jesus knows that from the moment he declares himself to be the Messiah, when that happens, that'll lead to the crucifixion. So he must accomplish everything he's supposed to accomplish for his heavenly father. First, and when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on Sunday, there was no longer any doubt in, the, in many of the minds of the Jews. That was enough. And so today, we have to look at this. Why does Jesus finally enter Jerusalem and claim Messiahship? What is the big deal about it? Now, I want to just tell you, uh, put some verses on the, on the screen. If you want to read more about the triumphal entry from all of the Gospels, you can look at Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. Those are the passages that are there for you. Um, uh, when you read only Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's difficult to understand one thing. And maybe you've thought about this too. When Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, there's just crowds and crowds of people with palm branches. And you kind of think, well, what, what, did they go to the palm branch store? Uh, did they go on Amazon and said palm branches buy a hundred? Yeah, I'll take all those. How, wh- how did this happen? Was it a, a week-long thing? No. The answer doesn't come from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John gives us a better Explanation. So we're going to look at John chapter 12 today. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, I will make us flip around just a little bit. I tried to put some more verses on the screen this time just to keep us from doing too much of that for the sake of time. But John chapter 12, we're going to start there. It's important we understand the response of the people um, and, and how they arrived here, and it comes from John 12. And we're just looking at verses 12 to 19 today. John chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, fear not daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that's after his crucifixion, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he had called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let me pray, and we'll look at this passage. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you that we get the opportunity to study it today. We pray that your spirit would be with us, that you'd illuminate truth to our hearts, Lord, that we would uh, leave today with a better understanding of that day and, and the significance of it and what it means for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of facts in there that really give us a lot of information. What we're going to have to do is uh, go back a bit to sort of understand the significance of what was, uh, what was said here. Um, it talks about the people. They, were, they heard he was coming. They got branches. It, it says it was people who heard about or were even at the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Well, who was that? When did that happen? There's all these things. We sort of have to back up the timeline a bit to, to find this, this out. But let me just start with just turn you back. Uh, a couple passages to John 7. If you just turn back to John chapter 7. At this point in ministry, Jesus was growing more and more unpopular with the religious leaders, not with the people. The people were loving Jesus, but the leaders were beginning to question him. And in John chapter 7, verse 1, we're told this very important thing. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. And so um, I'll put a map up a little bit later here. But, you know, Galilee is way in the north. Judea is way in the south where Jerusalem is. And at this point, Jesus is not trying to keep his ministry around Jerusalem. The religious leaders got their hands on him too soon. Then the the whole thing would, would end. What he was trying to accomplish wouldn't take place. So he stayed in the north in Galilee, and he was very careful about his public ministry these last six months of his ministry. And those last six months, think about this, they're marked by three feasts, okay? Think of the three feasts. You have the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication, and then Passover, which Covey uh, just talked about and we just uh, observed. The Feast of Tabernacles, which would have been October, only, kinda, only John really kind of gives us those facts about, about him. But here in uh, John chapter 7, this feast is on the horizon. If you look at verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, in those days, if you were young, male, Jewish, you would head off to Jerusalem for these feasts. It was required. And at this point, his brothers were wondering really who he was as well. And so they told him, You know what you should do? You should go down to Jerusalem. And make yourself known. Make the same claims. Now, he wasn't making any claims. He was just doing these miracles uh, and things. But if you look at verse 4, this is what they say. No one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What they were saying was, hey, you're in the backwater town and and, and areas of Galilee. If you're trying to make a statement, you should go to center stage. And where is that? The temple. The temple. That is the national symbol of Israel. And if you want to declare something, go there and make it known. But they really didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They really were just testing him. And so he knew that. And in verse 8, he says, no, you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. So he knows his timeline. Now, Jesus is being a little tricky with them. He, He does go. But he says, I'm not going to go. You go ahead and go ahead of me. And in verse 10, we find that out. But when his brothers had gone up, well, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Why is he doing that? He's being very careful. Remember that. He can't just be openly out and about now while in Jerusalem for that feast, there was a lot of confusion over Jesus and they were even wondering if he'd be there. And so there were a lot of questions that were going around. And when they saw Christ, some of them were saying, do the rulers even know? Do they think that he is the Christ? Some of us think, what are the rulers thinking? What are they thinking? What do the religious leaders think about him? And so if you look at chapter seven, just skip ahead a bit to uh, verse uh, 30. And you see, things are starting to get out of hand. Therefore, they sought to take him and no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They're not seeking to take him to kill him. They're seeking to take him to make him the leader. They're saying, listen, we think you're the Christ you should be the Christ. They want to establish him in that role. That's what he means by his time not yet coming. And so they try to take him. And they don't grab him at that moment. And there's still some questions in verse 31. It says, many of the people believed in him and said, well, when the Christ comes, won't he do more signs than the ones that this man has done? They're still not sure. Even the ones that were sent to, uh, to, to arrest him, because obviously the religious leaders now hear, oh, Christ is here. He's in the temple. Let's arrest him. They send officers to arrest him. And this is what I love. The officers show back. I think they had like Lo, Mo and Larry and Curly go in and try to arrest him because they come back empty-handed. <laughs> and you see in verse 45, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, well, no one ever spoke like this man. <laughs> they were being, they were thinking, wow, he, he's got to be something. There's something to what he's saying. But the religious leaders, if you look at their answer in verse 47, the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? They just thought he, they were being taken as well. So Jesus is at this first, uh, this first feast. That's significant. And now what he does is he stays in the region. He doesn't go all the way back to Galilee because the very next feast on the calendar is only two months away. So he decides that he'll he 'll stay uh, near nearby and uh, and Luke covers the that in chapters ten to thirteen, but one of his visits is to the house of uh, Mary and Martha and uh, Lazarus, which is in Bethany now i 'll just put this, the verse on the screen for you to save some time, but in Luke chapter ten it says this now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at jesus 's feet and heard. His word, And so that uh, becomes one of his new um, bed and breakfasts. I mean, he would just go there when he was in the area. I'll just go stay with my pals, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so the Feast of Dedication comes upon us, and he is in that area, probably staying with them. And that's two months later, so it's December. And only John covers the Feast of Dedication in John chapter 10. So if you're still in John, just turn to chapter 10, and we'll look at verses 22 to 31. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication. So now we're to the next one in Jerusalem. And it was a winter. Yep, it's December. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I referred to this earlier. This is when they, they do that. Just give us an answer. And Jesus does an answer, answer them. He says this, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. When he said that, that really set them off because he made himself to be God. And so they wanted to kill him by the Jewish method which they could do for blasphemy like that. They could stone him. So this this could be potentially dangerous if he's gonna end his life here. Well, he actually doesn't get stoned. In fact, we we look a little further. He he talks with them some more and then he gets them angry again in verse 39. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. So these first two feasts are a, little, are a little dicey. You can see why Jesus has been staying away. This second one, they almost stone him. They almost grab him again. And so we're told that he goes to the place where John the Baptist was baptizing. Now, we know that area was Perea because he baptized in the River Jordan. I'm going to put a map up on the screen so you can kind of get an idea of this uh, here. All right. So the brown area on the bottom, that is Judea. And Jerusalem is right, Jerusalem's right there. Okay, so this is where he's been. That's the Feast of Dedication. And so Perea is this green area over here. see that? Right down the middle, dividing all of that from uh, the the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea is the Jordan Rift. It's just a giant sort of, um, you know, uh, um, canyon. And and it's filled with water. It's the Jordan River. The very top, the uh, sort of yellowish area, that's Galilee. And this blue area in the middle is Samaria, where the Samaritans were. And so uh, Jesus has gone into Perea, that, that green area, and that's where John the Baptist was was baptizing. Now it's important to understand where the movement is in all of this. And I'm going to read to you uh, Luke chapter thirteen, um, unless I have the verse on. I don't know if I Luke thirteen thirty one. I'll just read this one, and it says this. Um, if I can find it, here we go. Now, on that very same day, when he was in the Priya, Pharisees came out saying to him, "Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you." So uh, he didn't go in secret. Somehow, people knew where he went, and so Pharisees went to Jesus while he's lying low in Priya, and uh, they try to trick him. They said, "You know what? You need to get out of town because Herod's trying to find you, and he wants to kill you." Um, and see, Herod. Uh, Antipas governed the region of uh, Priya, and it's a ploy, it's a ploy to scare him out of that region and back into Judea. Herod, Herod didn't care about him. They want him to go back into Judea where the, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, can get a hold of him, and he doesn't fall for it. Uh, we're told here in chapter 13 of Luke in verses 34 to 35, and this is a very important section, that at the end of that a- a part, he sort of... Um, Laments about Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is very, very important. He is saying this now remember, he's in Priya, he's not near Jerusalem. Um, I'm not coming back to Jerusalem until the people of Jerusalem are ready to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a prophecy by Jesus himself. And this is five to six weeks before that triumphal entry. So you got to think about this. How is Jesus going to enter into a Jerusalem? And have them all ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to send out a wire and have everybody gather together somewhere and like, let's practice this. Let's rehearse this. So I'm going to come in a few weeks. I want you to be there with some palm branches. I want you to say, no, none of that happens. How does he orchestrate that? He orchestrates it by the resurrection of Lazarus. Remember what we read in John 12, Lazarus and his resurrection was mentioned there. There were people who witnessed that. And because they witnessed that, they knew who Jesus was and they were ready to meet him. And it's in John chapter 11. If you want to look back at John chapter uh, 11, Jesus, um, remember Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that's uh, his, his buddies. It says in verse one, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we find out something really interesting here, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the people he loves so dearly, Lazarus is sick, but we're told here that it's the Mary who anointed the oil, I love this, anointed the the, the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. He says that here in John chapter 11, but that hasn't happened yet. John doesn't record it yet, if you look ahead to John chapter 12, that's where He records it in verse three. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Why why is John specifying a Mary and an event that he hasn't even written about? Why does he do that? You have to remember that the gospel of John was written many, many, many years later, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptics, seen together. That's what synoptics means. They write about the same general things. And they had been circulated. They had been read. They all understood all these stories. They knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they knew the story about her spilling that very expensive perfume perfume on his feet and wiping with hair. John writes it way later. And so it was a very, very simple thing to say, okay, this is that Mary, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. He's writing chronologically. He's trying to keep the timeline here for us. That hasn't happened, but it's that Mary. And people instantly, are, who are the readers are clicking, oh, it's that Mary. That's the Lazarus who has gotten sick. So Jesus is getting word and he's in Perea and they are in Bethany. Now, there's a Bethany in Perea. That's that little dot there. It ain't that Bethany. There are in um, this Bethany, right down there right below Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was about two miles away from that Bethany. That's where they were. And every time he would go out of Jerusalem after the feast, he'd go and hang out with them just a couple of miles away. Don't want you to get confused when you read about a Bethany that is the one in Perea. He's in Perea. They've sent message from, him, from, uh, from them in the Bethany by Jerusalem saying, hey, the guy you love, Lazarus, our brother, he's sick. And Jesus really loves them so much. He loves them so much that he waits two more days before he comes and answers their call. Uh, It says this in verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was, (laughs) which is what you would do, right? Why does Jesus do that? He gave us the answer in verse four. When Jesus heard that message, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. It's not about Lazarus' death. The son of God is going to be glorified through something pretty amazing here. So he waits till Lazarus has actually died. And actually, when he gets there, he's been buried four days. And so when he gets there, understandably, Mary and Martha, pretty upset. Jesus, you can do some amazing miracles. And I don't know what you were doing waiting. But you, you see this. It says in verse 21, skip down. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will... God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, she's confused. She thinks it's, it's like those heartwarming things we say to people when they lose a loved one. Oh, you'll be with them again. You'll see them again. She takes it that way. I know, I know I'll see him again in the resurrection the last day. That's not what Jesus means. And he clarifies it here. Oh, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. But Jesus is more than the Messiah, is he not? He's God, very God, and he can even raise people who have been dead for days. And that's what exactly happens. He goes to the tomb. He says, all right, I want you you to roll that stone away. A tomb there would have been a cave in the side of the hill. If you go to Israel, there's just caves everywhere. A big stone would have been rolled in front of it to keep animals from getting in or critters, but also they would seal it with mud and stuff so the smell wouldn't get out. And the smell certainly would have been there after four days. In fact, when he tells them to roll the stone away in verse 39, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I'm trying to do something here, sister. (laughs) Get out out of the way. So they roll the stone away. Jesus says, you know the story, Lazarus come forth. I'm so glad he specified the name because if he just said, come out, then all these dead people would have come walking out. I just want Lazarus today. Just a call for Lazarus. And verse 44, he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. This is not someone who just was resuscitated and you know four days was beyond. That you were you were dead. Four days. And he came out wrapped. Now, this is a, a significant, significant event that takes place here, and people are blown away. Look at verse forty five. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. That was the turning point. This guy has to be the Messiah. This guy has to be the one. They believe it. And they were there at the resurrection of Lazarus. That's very, very important. Now, you look ahead to verses 46 and 47. This is going to start some stir. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told the things that Jesus did. And the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what are we going to do? (laughs) For this man works many signs. And If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Here's what they're worried about. If, if he keeps doing things like this and everyone believes in him, then what's going to happen? They're going to make him the Messiah. Now, they're going to say he is the Messiah, and they're going to put him in that place. They think the Messiah is going to be a military ruler, and they believe that still today, and that he will free them from Roman occupation. And so if they do that and Rome gets wind that there's this insurrection taking place, the Romans are going to come and take away both our place and aid. We're going to get wiped out by the Romans. But we also can't kill them. If we kill them, if we stone them, if we try to do those things we tried to do before, then what's going to happen? Well, then an insurrection is gonna come up because people believe in him and then the Romans are gonna come and take a, you see, it's the same, they're gonna catch 22. We can't kill him and we also can't let people believe in him. We're gonna be doomed because we're gonna lose our prestige. We're gonna lose our position of power. They care less about him actually being the Messiah. They just are worried about themselves. So what are they gonna do? They have to figure out some kind of plan and this is where the plot begins to come together. It says in verse um, uh. Uh, 54, therefore, uh, 53, there it is. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country, near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there he remained with his disciples. Skip down to verse 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew uh, uh, where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Now, nothing says that they're going to uh, take him and kill him themselves. Their plan at this point is to actually have Rome do it. They can't do it themselves. They want to have Rome do it. So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to get a a claim against him that is going to pass its way up into Rome so that they will do the evil deed for them. That is the actual uh, plan here. That's the plot that is hatched. Here and that's why Jesus is staying away. In fact, verse fifty-four told us where he he went to. He went to to Ephraim. He went to this little place on on the border. Now, now as we're reading this, you got to look at some things here. Okay, so he's gone. He's gone to Ephraim. He's just with his disciples. It's six six days before the Passover. And when you read chapter twelve, verse one, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus who. Uh, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and then that's where Mary anoints him with the, the oil. Six days before the Passover, and he's suddenly in Bethany. So he was in Ephraim, and now he's in Bethany. What happened in between? Well, in Luke seventeen eleven it says this. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, this is really confusing, because let's look at that map again. Let's show you this here. That little dot right there is Ephraim. He's right on the border of Judea and Samaria. That's where he went to. Now, he's got to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's six days before. And so this passage we just read tells us that he went through Samaria up into Galilee. Where is Jerusalem? I'm a little confused. Oh, it's down here. Jesus is going the wrong way. Maybe he didn't have the GPS set correctly. I don't know. Those things are crazy. But... What is happening here? Jesus is doing something very interesting. He's gone up here. Now, I told you all the Jewish men would be going on a pilgrimage all together um, to Jerusalem for the feast. Passover was the biggest. And they wouldn't just go alone. They'd be in in packs. They'd be on the well-traveled roads. They'd be all together. What Jesus is doing is something very shrewd. He's staying out of the way of these Jewish leaders because now he is really known because of raising Lazarus from the dead. He's gone all the way up to Galilee. What he's done is he's joined a caravan of pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. He went all the way up to just join the group to come all the way down. Now, we know that that is what's happening because on the way, when you read the, all the, 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 the gospels together, you find out he, during this time, he's walking with them. He heals 10 lepers. Um, he, he counsels that rich young ruler. When he gets all the way down to uh, Jericho here, he heals Bartimaeus, the blind man. He meets Zacchaeus. And all this time, the word has gotten out and they're talking to him. You're the Jesus The thing that happened with Lazarus, you did that, and he's doing the other thing. So this group that's coming into Jerusalem for the Passover is super excited. They know what? That Jesus is coming to the Passover. They have that insider knowledge. People in Jerusalem don't know that, but this group does. And so they're traveling down into Jerusalem, but right before they get there, Here veers off at the last second, right at the Mount of Olives. You go up over the Mount of Olives. You're at that little place of Bethany where Mary and Martha live, right there. And that's what Jesus does. In John chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, and he raised him from the dead. And he is a Sabbath day journey, which Sabbath day's journey is important because you cannot... Uh, walk further than a Sabbath because you can't not be in that journey in the Sabbath. You You gotta rest, you can't walk. So they know that that two mile journey, that's within reach. He could be here in time for the Passover. So that's how that group knows Jesus is gonna be there. He veered off, but the rest of them went where? Right into Jerusalem. And could you imagine? They had they had the news of the day, okay? There was no social media. They were it. <laughs> you won't believe who we were just walking with this whole time. Jesus, and he is coming, and he is in Bethany, and everyone's really excited. And so guess what? They're all going to be ready to say those words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because of what happened with Lazarus on that amazing day. Look at John chapter 12 again, and look at verse Twelve, And this is when he comes riding in the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, how they hear that whole group took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. He was not there after that amazing resurrection of a man dead four days. He took off. But as he was coming back in, the word spread. The people were ready to declare him Messiah. Now is the time. Now was the right time. And Jesus rode in that day, and the people spoke the very words that Jesus prophesied that they would. And it is also a fulfillment of Scripture itself. Psalm 118, save now. That's Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So Psalm 118 fulfilled there. Jesus' own prophecy from Luke 13, 35 fulfilled as well. Now, what about the little mention there of this donkey? I just want to address that because in verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. It just, it just sounds so random. Jesus is coming in. He's like, ah, there's a donkey. I'll go grab that. I don't know. It seems weird, doesn't it? What about that donkey, though? It says it. Jesus, when he had found a donkey, sat on it as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt. See, this wasn't just uh, luck. This wasn't just a good fortune. How did he just come upon a donkey there? Well, I'm just going to take you to Mark chapter 11. We'll end with this to just tell you because you can't find everything from one gospel. Again, they all cover different parts of it. John focuses on the people and why they were there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about the donkey. A little more important to them, although... John addresses it, and he gives us the, uh, a quote from Scripture. It's Zechariah 9, 9 there. But here it is in Luke, uh, sorry, Mark 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Now go into the village opposite you, and as you've entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. And so they went their way and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street. They loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to him, what, what are you doing loosening the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. And so they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus' instructions regarding the donkey was meant to fulfill another scripture. If he was the Messiah that people wanted, what do you think he'd come rolling in on? A panzer. No, he would come on a white horse of those days. Something militarily showing like military power but he comes as a humble servant because he knew that the moment he declared himself as the messiah shortly after that he'd be hanging on a cross for the sins of mankind what was it what was it that Simeon had said when he saw baby Jesus that day so long ago when he was in Jerusalem my eyes have seen your salvation salvation doesn't come to us because Jesus rode into Jerusalem so long ago and people threw palm branches. Salvation comes to us because Jesus died on that cross on Friday of that very same week, which shows us, one, the fickle hearts and the sinful hearts of human beings, but two, the humble servant that Jesus truly was, that he came for his own mission, which we were all completely unaware of, that we needed saving. We needed saving, and Simeon knew we needed saving. My eyes have seen your salvation. And if you know anything about you, you should know you need saving. I'm a sinful human being. And there's no way I can stand before a holy God and say, yeah, I'm pretty clean. I'm pretty good. No one can. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that we just celebrated today, an amazing thing, the blood of Jesus would atone for our sins, that he would choose to die the way he did so that we could we could find forgiveness, that we could stand before a holy God and he could look at the sinful wretch that I am and say, I declare you justified. I declare you clean. And not just that, but my child, my son. An amazing truth. And that's why one day, Revelation 7, a multitude will gather together again to celebrate with palm branches in hand the triumphant Jesus he was triumphant absolutely not because he rode in but because he died and then rose again and we praise him for that let me pray god thank you so much for the reminder today of what jesus did for us so many years ago and lord this day is a significant day it did mark the beginning of the the end of his public ministry And it led to the crucifixion, which was a momentous time in the the history of mankind. The moment that salvation was once and for all offered to all mankind. All we must do is receive the grace that you freely offer to us. Lord, I thank you that we could celebrate this today and think about this week ahead. And I pray that your people would, Lord, that we would reflect upon tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, and then Thursday of that same week when he met with his disciples and washed their feet and shared the supper with them and prayed that high priestly prayer, all those things focused on others, focused on the people, focused on those he loved when he knew the very next day he'd be hanging on the cross, abandoned and rejected and mocked. What an amazing Savior we have. I pray that our people would think deeply on these things this week, We come together on Friday as we contemplate the cross with um, soberness, with humility, and we return together on Sunday with joy for the victory that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.